Hey everybody, and welcome to the Punch Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And this is the show where we take a look at trade collections and graphic novels with female protagonists. And this one's kind of special because this is our first um, effectively listener-submitted um, yeah. review. So I, I know that a lot of the people who listen to the Fire and Water Network are well aware of Darren and Ruth Sutherland. They're frequent commenters. They have a slew of their own shows. One of those is Trekker Talk, where they talk about Ron Randall's ongoing series of graphic novels about the character of Mercy St. Clair, who is a Trekker, which is basically a bounty hunter. Mm -hmm. So they sent to us, uh, actually to both me and Liz, we each got a copy with a sketch signed by Ron Randall. So they really went all out on this. I know, it's nice. So they sent us Trekker Rites of Passage. Now, this is a character that I only had a vague awareness of from (laughs) Darren and Ruth. Um, I'm going to make a leap and say you probably never heard of this. Nope, I have not. Okay. Now, so far as I could tell from the very minuscule amount of research I did, basically a Google search like six months ago... um, This is is released like this. This is a series released in these volumes. It's not released in individual issues. Oh, okay. These rather thin volumes. Yeah, yeah, so I think 80 pages. Yeah, so it it is effectively a series of graphic novels. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, this does still... I do still suspect we're probably coming into the middle of maybe not an ongoing story, but there's probably... Been a lot of stuff established prior to this. Yeah, I didn't know a couple of the things going on and was a little confused, but... Well, we'll get to all that. So, plot on this one, uh, the the titular Trekker um, is a woman by the name of Mercy St. Clair. Mm-hmm. And she basically gets wrapped up into an escort mission mm-hmm. <laughs> that she would just as soon not be involved in. Actually, so far as I can tell from her attitude, she was just assumed not be involved in really very much of anything at all with anyone ever. She's yeah, she's she's kind, kind of a loner. She's kind of a cranky pants. So she ends up um, basically through a promise of information about her mother yeah. um, is roped into helping bring this young girl uh, to uh, to a, a planet. Yeah. And we start out, this is broken very cleanly into three sections. We start out basically in your kind of standard cyberpunk, um, futuristic kind of setting, a bit Blade Uh, Mm Runner-ish. There's then a segment on a space station. And then finally we have a section on, well, Dagobah, basically. The planet, yeah. Yeah. The very swampy planet with giant river prawn essentially <laughs> yeah as mercy works to um get this uh, young girl named jekka uh, yeah you remembered a name i Those did are the two names you remember aren't they um i remember bolt who's the guy who promises her information and there's um wisu wisu i don't know wisu, how, I, I think i, I don't know how to wisu yeah i don't know how to pronounce this one who is basically the guide 
mm-hmm. um, for where they're trying to get to. I don't remember the name of her friend in the police precinct, and it's is it? She is Uncle Alex, I think. Alex, uh-huh. and the her girlfriend is Molly. Molly, yes. Okay, so since I just did the whole synopsis, why don't we start with you? What'd you think? Um, it was okay. I like the artwork better than the writing. Um. I liked, I really liked the fight scenes. I think those were my favorite parts. Um, they were exciting. Um, it was a pretty standard story in a lot of ways, like kind of predictable. Like, you know, they get she the reluctant person who wants to, it felt a little Star Wars-ish to me because I don't know Blade Runner as well as you do, but mm-hmm. like the like fighting of the like cyborgs and you're in like, you know, the fact that you're on the spaceship, um, you know, blaster fights, whatnot. Um, yeah, it reminded me of Star Wars. Um, I I did really like the artwork. I, I was a little bit amused by how much she looked like kind of Angelina Jolie in Hackers. Is what it kind of reminded me of. She does a little Mercy. bit, and, and you know that's a soft spot for me too. So yeah, I figured you would like it. Um, that amused me. I mean, it's a little, you know, she's a little like six packed and big bosomed and like the glossy kind of look that you'd want for like a female bounty hunter. That yeah, <laughs> um, but it's not excessive she's not excessively objectified you know how picky i am about these things and i was well, like well it's a little bit but like it's not bothering me that much for one thing her outfit that's actually her work outfit because i mean she we do see her off the job mm-hmm. but the outfit she does her work in is full coverage there is that there's no exposed flesh if nothing else that's a start yeah um so i did like the artwork this the language um, seemed a little trite at points. Now, when you say the language seemed trite, do you mean sort of the nature of the dialogue or the the use of somewhat haphazardly handled universe-building fake words? <laughs> or both? Um, the first one. The first one. So... It's... I think it's... Like, just phrases that you hear, things that I was like, oh, they're going to probably say something like this, and then they do. Um, so it was a little... It's that. trying. And the plot was a little like you know, she's rough and tough, and she doesn't want to help this girl, but then she ends up helping this girl. Um, I did like the twist at the end, which I wasn't really expecting. That was yeah, that wasn't bad. There's a there's a big logical flaw in the plan. I'll save that for a little bit later because it's we're kind of talking spoiler stuff, but um, I'll, I'll get there. Uh, what else did I like? Oh, I do want to say that even though she isn't a very attractive woman, just like hanging out with Molly, like no one ever should wear vertical black and white stripes, even really hot women. It just doesn't work. It's not a good look Not anyone. I mean, pinstripe is one thing. Those are, those are evenly spaced. Yeah. White and no, black. No, pinstripes are awesome. Yeah. On pants, but not a dress that is vertical. It's just like, yeah. 
Now, yeah. now to be clear, that that's a bad fashion choice. That's not the same as bad art. Because I'm going to agree with you on the art. The art is... The art is nice. Um, the art is quite good. And actually, I get to give Ron Randall full credit for this. Because one of the things that I really... Because he did um, the, uh, the art and the coloring. Mm-hmm. So, and the reason I, I mentioned that is a lot of what I liked about the art was the shading of the coloring to create... Worlds and To create worlds settings. and to do a lot of shadowing, but not... not Shadowing in comics... Um, well, these days it's a lot easier. You look back at older comics and it, you were either dealing with heavy blacks because it was all inking, or it just looked weird because of the color limitations of printing at the time. These days it's a bit better, but you still need to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And he very much does. Um, so the, the yeah, the coloring is really good. Like you can see the changes in setting depending on where you're going. So like, there's a flashback where she's talking about Jekka's talking about when she was little, and um, what her family was like, what the country was like back then, and it's kind of bathed in this yellow well there's that there's a there's a fight scene that happens basically at sunset the whole thing is is tinged red yep which is a cool effect yeah so i definitely i meant to yeah mention the like colors and how they use them and to set scenes and everything and i like that so there's another one that's kind of like in the city and dark and so it's kind of like tinges this grayish brownish which is kind of nice another fight scene so early on on the the last page where she goes back to be with to, to see molly and it's it's practically in sepia which is kind of neat yeah um so to, to come back to what you said about the dialogue i get the feeling that not not necessarily the world because the world overall does feel I think Star Wars is a good comparison, um, especially with the way it kind of jumps around from, from setting to setting. Um, but I feel like the character of Mercy is very much written in the, in sort of um, a, um, jacking up the action, but the characterization is a take on sort of the classic put upon noir detective. Mm. And noir style dialogue, I love noir stories, but noir dialogue is riddled with heavily overused phrases. cliched phrases and sort of almost you can practically diagram the conversations when you're <laughs> when you're going for that kind of feel to the interactions and the dialogue i don't i mean only having this this volume i don't know if ron randall is actually attempting to have it be a bit of a pastiche or if he's trying to do it more or less straight Hmm. it's not quite enough of an affect to work as a pastiche, but it is a little bit too much here adhering to formula to work straight. Though there is one point, and it's near when we get the shift in perspective where we first, because um, I'd say like two-thirds of it almost well, is told from Jekka's perspective. Well, actually, we get we get a narrator shift for every section. Yeah. Because the first, okay, so the first section, second. because it is broken into three sections with each of the three locations. So the section on, I believe it's Earth, uh-huh. that, is, that has uh, Mercy as the narrator. Section on the star, uh, 
ship. on the starship or the or the space station or wherever they are. That's that's yeah. Jekka is uh -huh. narrating that, and then Waisu narrates once they're on the planet. Oh yeah, okay, gotcha. I guess I didn't realize it was Waisu narrating in the third one, but that makes sense. Um, which I kind of like the shifts in perspective, but there is. When we first get the shift to Jekka, there is some, like, in her narration parts, there's some teenage phrases in there. Because she says, like, suckage and, um, P.O.'d. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that on air, so you know what I mean, people. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm, I would say the, I mean, the story is fine. The story, you know, for, um, for a, a and I was going to say day in the life. It's a couple of days. But for an adventure in the life of a trekker, mm -hmm. it it's fine. It works. Mm -hmm. um, I think if the weakest thing about this is probably the dialogue. And I think, unfortunately, tied to that is some of the narration. I had trouble liking Mercy. I did, too. Well, it took... I know I was supposed to because she's so, like, tough and everything. But I'm just like, she's just too angry that was it that was exactly because I, I i thought about it because i without reason without me really understanding it if i understood yeah. right away and probably had i been following this all along i would know better but i was just like Why? yes yeah i mean we have to make allowance for the fact that i have no idea how many volumes exist prior to this there may be a reason why perhaps in this volume she's more angsty and prickly than maybe she otherwise normally would be maybe this is standard operating procedure we don't know but limited to this yes i absolutely agree she is too angry because the thing and i i, mean, I, I really had to think about that because i tend to like the put upon reluctant yes character. You like your female warrior characters too i mean female and male i like that character type and i and i like strong women a lot but where it pushes over is when it, it's one thing to have a, a character be put upon and to not really want to be there. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to have them angry and ticked off and lashing out at everybody yeah, about the fact that they're there. Especially if you don't really know why they are that way. That is alienating to trying to be able to connect with them as a character. Well, there's at one point when she gets into this thing where she's trying to get Jekka to tell her her story. And Jekka's like, no. And I'm like... Really, are you getting into a power struggle with like a thirteen-year-old girl? Like, come on! And losing, I might add. Yeah, I did actually. I think Jekka might have been my favorite character, which kind of surprised me. I mean, I didn't. I can't say I was like super attached to any of them, but I was like, I kind of like Jekka. You know, she's got some stuff going on, but she's not lashing out angry, even though she's obviously had a really hard life, too, as we find out by the end. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing. We get context on Jekka, so the fact that she isn't as angry as it might be valid for her to be almost becomes a recognition of the strength of her character. We learn a very little about Mercy's background, you know, because she gets a little bit of information about her mother. She doesn't get all she was hoping to get out of this mm -hmm. whole deal. Yeah. But, I, again, I don't know, I just, I don't know enough about her, and not knowing enough about her, her anger is alienating as a reader. I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, so, I, 
I do want to talk about the the ending with the twist. So at, at this point, we're going to enter into spoilers. So there's your warning, folks. Mm-hmm. So the, the premise under which all this is being done is that Jekka is a is a rightful heir to lead this um this tribe like Skane of or something the, the voice planet. of Skane uh-huh. to lead this tribe of people on this planet because the the equivalent of the galactic empire uh, called the council um have installed their own fake or the false voices they're called well they they've installed their own voice of Skane but it's a false one yes so that you know she's supposed to get there to claim it rightfully while now they basically have this blade that if anyone other than the people of the correct bloodline touch the blade it kills them so that's the way that they're gonna prove they're gonna get there and basically show yeah gonna show to all these (laughs) tribes people see it doesn't kill her well we get there and wisu or waisu or whatever he grabs it uh-huh. And it doesn't kill him either. So, while Jekka is part of the bloodline, she's not next in line. He was, uh-huh. but she was the one who was known to the council, so she was effectively the decoy. Mm-hmm. Now, I kind of like that twist. Uh-huh. Here's my problem with it. Here we go. <laughs> well, if she's the decoy, uh-huh. why is the real one anywhere near her? Where he might be where he where he is going to be caught in crossfire. You That's don't a good point. you don't put the real target next right literally right next to the fake one. You put a lot of distance between them because otherwise you've only distracted your opponents about five feet to the left of where you in fact are. Why Sue actually does get hurt? Yes. Pretty badly, so... I, I, like, the fact that there's a decoy, cool. The fact that he was the one leading her, not a great plan. That's a really dumb plan. Also kind of mean to make your decoy be a little girl. Though, I, it does, she is one of that family and she will eventually lead. And I do kind of like at the end, I was actually reading the author notes and it was saying, you know, like, she's shedding a layer and you're getting to know her better in each scene and i thought thought that was kind of cool and i really like jekka's outfit at the end like her tribal uniform but you have a good point yeah i mean i mean there there are other things i could nitpick about this that was my that was my biggest one though and i think i want to spare my other little things that i had because i think as i went along i what were i just out of curiosity what were your other little things Here's the other one I'll mention because this was the first one that I hit, and I kind of stopped cataloging them after a while. But well, okay. no, that's not to say there were a ton, but I'll explain why I stopped okay. sort of no- noting them. So early on, like with Mercy's voiceover, not voiceover, her and in head narration, it's like there's this whole deal made of oh my god, cyborgs. I'm in so much trouble. Yet she repeatedly takes down entire rooms of these things. With a very small gun, mm-hmm. so the the it's it's a, it's a case of what you're telling me is different from what you're showing me. You're telling me cyborgs are super dangerous, but I'm watching her take them down over and over and over and over mm-hmm. again. So you're not selling you're not selling what you're telling me. But 
I stopped, the reason I stopped cataloging my nitpicks was I kind of got into the vibe of, of it a bit more because it is going for a bit, kind of a mashup of noir with, you know, sort of a rollicking, it basically is stuck a noir hero, quote unquote, because noir tends to have anti-heroes anyways, but a noir, for her, for mercy. Uh, noir protagonist in a space hopping adventure story and both of those genres honestly tend to be genres that are that don't hold up to a ton of scrutiny by their nature <laughs> by their nature yeah most of the and both of those are genres i enjoy so i'm like okay for what this is i need to not be nitpicking across because that's not being fair to what it is and and the, and the genres it's trying to exist in so that was why i i stopped cataloging little issues and kind of started rolling with it better as I went along, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I still wasn't able to connect with Mercy. That was still the big thing mm -hmm. that I, I really couldn't get over. Um, I liked her girlfriend. She was nice. Um, I had one little nitpicky deal with that. I wish they had made the relationship a little more obvious. I felt it was pretty hard to read as anything other, other than, than girlfriend. I know it was pretty big subtext, but there was always, and I actually, the way they did the almost kisses were kind of cute. Like, there's one point where they're like, she's looking at her and their lips, even though they're at different angles and apart, like a few feet apart, it looks like their lips are almost touching and the end With the composition, almost, yeah. Um, where it almost closes or like she kind of, it basically, it ends with a kiss. We just don't see the kiss. And I guess I did, but like, I just wanted it. Uh, you know what? I'm now suddenly I'm I'm of two minds of it, on it, yeah. because on the one on the one hand I do think it's hard to argue that it's anything other than mm -hmm. they are they are girlfriends or lovers or significant others or married for all I know I don't actually know but that they are in a relationship. But here's where the other side of my brain's kicking in. Mm -hmm. When I look at how not subtle pretty much the entire rest of not only the story the but 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 the way the narrative is and the way characters talk and there isn't a lot of sub this is not a book of subtext uh-huh that is kind of irritating because while it's not so subtle that i i think it's misinterpretable by this book standards it feels downplayed and that is a li little irritating. So it's like in a vacuum, I'm fine with it. In the context of this story, actually, yeah, maybe that should have been more blatant. <sighs> Here's the thing. I don't think you even necessarily have to show them kissing. I think you can just have one of the characters when they're talking about Molly be like your girlfriend or your lover or whatever and just put that label there. And you know what? Like, you don't even have to have the romance because I do think the almost kisses were kind of cute and like artfully done um, and how it ends. I like that, but I just want it out there. I think is what I want. I mean, I, I mean, you, you've heard me go on rants about yeah, this before. Yeah, I know. Before. That's why it's, I mentioned it because I wanted to see what you thought of it. This is, it's not what it isn't. It is not queer baiting. Because I, I do think there is enough substance there that you really can't argue yeah. that it's anything yeah. else. I mean, it's pretty obvious. That but having I been also said, know yeah. that, say, if one of my, like, 11-year-old students picked this up, they 
most of them probably would get it, but some of them would not get it at all. It For a book that is not subtle, it is um, conspicuously subtle about that mm -hmm. specific thing. Well, and I'm thinking of like something like Nimona, where if you're an adult reading it, there's a lot of subtext between Ballister and Goldenloin, and you kind of think that they're more than just friends. But my kids don't pick up on that at all. Well, and I mean, this is more obvious, I would say, but I could still see it going over their head. It This is more obvious if we're going to compare to Nimona, but again, I just looking at the works as a whole, Nimona is also a work with a lot of subtext. Yes. This is... Not, yeah, I mean, a this lot is of not a, I, I, agree and you don't know. This is not a work with a lot of subtext. At least not that I found. I said, Ruth and Darren, I'm sorry. If I, if I like, completely missed a whole ton of subtext about this, I'm so sorry. But I didn't... It's hard to gather from 80 pages. I didn't too. find subtext in this, whereas Nimona is, is oh, rich with it. Yeah. So, again, it's a lot... A lot of it is about context. There are some situations where going subtextual with something like that, with an LGBTQ relationship, makes more sense and for the overall thing that you're doing and the world that you're creating. And other times it's like, why couldn't you just say it? We saw you literally blow a guy's head in half two pages ago. Why can't, why can't you say girlfriend? <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. <laughs> Um, so I guess, <laughs> I guess we'll kind of wrap it up there. So I guess this is evidence that, uh, if you send us stuff to, to review, we will review it. Uh, it's not, it's not a guarantee that we will give it as glowing a review as maybe you're hoping for. Yeah. So I don't know if we have encouraged and then immediately discouraged anyone from sending us their favorite stuff that they want us to talk about. I did like the artwork though. So the artwork was gorgeous artwork. and, and yeah. honestly, it and was the colors and everything the artwork is wonderful um and i i would not discourage anyone from reading this no it wasn't like bad i didn't hate it it just didn't really move me other than the artwork yeah and it was nice and the fight scenes were really cool so they if you were. want to look at some cool fight scenes it's a good book for that and and darren and Ruth, i do want to thank you again for thank for, you that was very thoughtful for getting uh, these signed and getting the sketches in the front because honestly i I'm going to try to do this now regardless, because that was really cool and really sweet. That was very thoughtful and kind of you. Thank you. But I think we are going to end it on that note, so stick with us, folks. We will be back in a few minutes with listener feedback. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy. Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics. Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future. <laughs> Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes. Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. 
Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books. And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories. Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. Welcome back. So we've got listener feedback on the previous episode which in which we covered All's Fair in Middle School. Um, oh, and we we went to the Vermont Renaissance Fair uh, since then. Um, and I think I think I need to share this. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I'm if, just cracking up thinking of it. If you listen to the previous episode, um, which hopefully you did, like a good listener, you're listening to all of them, um, you may have remembered one of the details from that is the younger brother has a stuffed squirrel named Tiffany. Well, at the Ren Fair this year, um, I I went, Liz went, we took my daughter. And my daughter had decided six months ago that what she wanted to come away from the Renaissance Fair with was an animal skin. So she knew this long before we got there. And we got there, it took us a while to find anybody selling them. But um, I would just like to add that I specifically asked the organizer and that's how we found them. And yes. I sent you off in the right direction. Yes, you did. So. You, you, you helped save the day on that. So we, Thank you. we find the tent where someone <laughs> is selling some pelts and Morrigan picks out this little mink pelt. Complete with a face and whiskers. And a little tiny nose. And a little nose. And eye holes. And she loves it to death. She has named it Fluffy. And Fluffy looks a great deal like Tiffany. Yeah. From All's Fair. Face and like a bunch of... It's it's just this this sort of straight, straight, slinky, furry, well-loved... She, she, re- she really does. She really does love it. She loves Fluffy. Fluffy is her tip. So it it was it was money well spent as far as I'm concerned. But yep. Now we have a tiff. Now you have a Tiffany in your home. Effectively, yes. So, anyways, feedback that we got on that episode um, came from two sources, but both of them commented multiple times. <laughs> that amused me. So first up, we have Brian Linton. Uh, who said, I think this may be another must-read for my daughter. My wife and I recently got Roller Girl for her from our local library, and she loved it, devouring the whole book in one sitting before school one morning. My daughter is an early riser. Yeah, mine too. As someone who is not an early riser, (laughs) she, uh, she takes after her mother on that score. Uh, added to that is my love of Renaissance festivals. I even used to take my daughter to the Renfest down in Miami, Florida when she was younger. We let my wife tag along too. <laughs> How generous of you. Yes, um, her. <laughs> unfortunately, when we moved up to Massachusetts a few years ago, we discovered that the local Renfest is ridiculously expensive, even by Renfair standards. So we haven't been to one in several years. Sigh. I'll stop there before I get too depressed. Thanks for another great reading recommendation. He then has his first PS, 
which is, I just caught my daughter rereading Roller Girl in the living room. She said that her favorite part of, the, of that book is at the end when Astrid is able to reconcile her relationships between her old and new friends and even sees some improvement in her relationships with her worst enemy, though my daughter made it clear to me they were still enemies. <laughs> and then finally, PPS, God Save the Queen. Huzzah! Thank you, Brian. So yeah, if she if she liked Roller Girl, especially if you guys like Ren Fair, she's gonna love this. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We liked it better than Roller Girl overall. Yes, yeah. That reminds me, I need to tell Sharon who reviewed Roller Girl with us. Yes, read All's Fair. I think yeah. she might have already. Do you want me to do the next two? Sure. Okay. So Tim Price did our Tim! Next two comments, um, and. He said for his first one, by complete coincidence, one of my girls just bought this book with birthday money on the same day I listened to the podcast. I love serendipity. I'll be back after we've read it. Oh, so now, now the anticipation, the follow-up comment. Here we go. Huzzah and well-met, fair podcasters. Twas a right fine graphic novel indeed. Yeah, I'm no good at ye old English. Jenny's already read it twice, and she has lots of sympathy for Empy's story. And I, I just want to say how much I love Empy as, like, a cute nickname for the protagonist. That's, that's hard to argue with. Yeah. She just finished seventh grade, and being slightly nerdy and definitely not one of the cool kids, experience rang true. Yeah, I can sympathize with that. That was Likewise? Me. Not quite as nerdy, but I was not cool. Yeah. Um, Empy, Anita, and Sasha are the, are more like the kids Jenny and her sisters are friend and her sister are friends with. And of course, she thought being in a Ren Fair would be great. We've gone to a couple of small events since no big fairs come near us, and she enjoyed seeing this depiction of a bigger one. I did really like the storyline throughout too. Like they had like a whole storyline, which we aren't that organized. Yeah, the, the Vermont the Vermont Ren Fair doesn't doesn't do a storyline. I mean they, they have the joust, which you know has its own little kind of yeah. competition and story and characters. But, but I mean that there isn't there isn't a queen and a and a and somebody trying to usurp or and there's no there's no dragon, sadly. Oh I well, know except for the one that I brought on my shoulder which it's quite popular. Well, kids always get get uh, enraptured by him. That's why I bring him. Mm. I'll also embarrass Jenny a little. Don't tell her. Well, hopefully she won't listen to this. <laughs> That'll tell her. A couple of years ago, quite impetuously, she threw her sister's wrist, ross, wrist watch excuse me, in the deep end of the swimming pool right in front of some friends, and she instantly regretted it. So you know what part of the book that made me think of. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, that was heartbreaking. I've definitely seen kids do something you know, in a moment or fit of anger and then instantly be like, oh no, Just, <laughs> you can see their face fall and crumple. I enjoyed this story immensely myself, an entertaining story and so many good characters. I wish I was as funny as Cussy, but I pulled that we wouldn't want to embarrass you bit with my girls a time or two. Shocking, I know. <laughs> Great choice for the show. I shall see thee again upon the next moon, proud punchers. Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good. I'm really bad at, like, 
reading that too, I'm like, I don't know how to read ye old English even when someone is mocking it. Well, ye old English is is uh, you know it sounds so. Thank you so much um, to those who commented. Now, I meant to do this last week. Um, let me get it up here because I do believe we have a new review. Oh, really? And we oh actually, I think. We now we have two. We have Whoa. one. From, we have one from January. That I <laughs> we've really been on top of things. I I forget to check the 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 iTunes reviews. Although that doesn't mean they're not important because they help um they help make the show come up in recommendations for more people. But first from Tim Price. Uh, comics have never been just for boys, but it's truer today than ever before. If you're looking for graphic novels or trade paperbacks featuring strong female leads, this podcast is for you. Liz and Nathaniel review and discuss a variety of books in lively, entertaining, intelligent show. They have books for kids all ages and, yes, even superheroes. Uh, just a joy to listen to. Aww. And that was a five-star review. Thank you. And then more recently, we got a five-star review from Your Brain on Facts, which I'm going to have some words about in a second. But uh, what, <laughs> what was written was, if you need proof... If you hear someone talking about female heroes as if they're new in the nerd world, strap them to a chair, uh, Lodovici style, and play this podcast for them. Plus, they post the cover art on their website as a visual bonus. And since then, I do better. I post more than just the cover art. So I even do better. Now, Your Brain on Facts is actually my new comfort food podcast. Um, that is... Oh, nice. That is uh, Moxie Labouche uh, has her podcast. She just picks a topic and runs through about a half hour worth of facts on that topic. That's um, kind of cool. And it's it, it she has a wonderfully pleasant voice to listen to. She writes the segues and the transitions between all these things really well. It's just fun, relaxing listening. It's a great thing to to unwind with if you need to. So if I would I would highly recommend checking out that podcast and also moxie thank you for the review thanks moxie i need to check her out yes you do so that is gonna wrap it up for us folks um have we decided what we're doing next time i can't remember i think we're doing moon girl and Devil yes Dinosaur because yes. we i kind of wanted to after we read A after unstoppable wasp you wanted yeah. you wanted to dig into moon girl yeah she, she had a nice cameo in there so. okay so tune in next month for moon girl and Devil dinosaur and uh we'll see you then folks bye bye Punch Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production. This show is presented on the Fire & Water Network and feedback can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at punchlikeagirl1. The theme music is composed and recorded by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.